0: Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here. I'm back with another podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. This week, I'm joined by Tamari Chabukiani, where we discuss her approach to designing a perfectly executed logo. But before we get into that, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's podcast, The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood boards created using Adobe Stock Assets. And if your amazing mood board design is chosen, You will be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other talented designers, art directors and creatives where the winner goes home with $1,000. It's totally free to participate in the perfect match and by simply submitting an entry, Adobe will give you a gift for your time. This month they're encouraging people from Europe to take part, including the UK, Denmark, Ireland, Finland, Norway, and the Netherlands. So if you're from that part of the world, make sure to take part. To learn more and to enter, visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash Geek. So on this week's show, I'm joined by Tamari Chabukiani, a really talented designer based in Georgia. He runs her own design studio, Pragmatica as well as teaching design. What I really admire about Tamari is that her logo designs are always so perfectly executed. They are incredible. So one of the big questions I was keen to discuss with her was her personal approach to designing logos but we also cover so many topics in this interview from how she first got attracted to logo design, how she started her agency, how she's approached hiring and working with others, how she finds clients, book recommendations and her upcoming domestica training course too. So let's just get straight into this. Here is the interview with Tamari Chabukiani. keen to go into your uh, background a little bit so I think as an opening question for this interview how did you first get into logo design?
1: Well becoming a graphic designer was not a linear process for me I actually had to change two majors to realize that I wanted to be a graphic designer but once I knew I just knew so Um, Let me start from the very beginning. Uh, It was the late 2000s when I watched a movie which is called Scanner Darkly and it was an adaptation of one of my favorite offers books at the time. And in that movie, uh, every scene was filmed digitally first and then it was animated from the beginning to the end. And the name of that animation technique is rotoscope. Mm -hmm. So. When I finished watching the movie, I went on YouTube right away to find a tutorial of the uh, illustration technique that would resemble rotoscoping. So um, it was the late 2000s, as I said, and there were very few tutorials online. And I found this video called Björk Vector Art Tutorial, which is still there. <laughs> <After> <laughs> it, a couple of times I created my first illustration, which was a portrait of my brother. And I remember it quite vividly that it was the first time I experienced the state of flow. If someone doesn't know, the state of flow is when you're in the zone, so much so um, that you lose the sense of time and you forget that you're hungry or sleepy and you're a bit afraid to leave this state because Uh, you're afraid that this moment uh, will not repeat itself in the future. So that was the first time I knew I enjoyed working with uh, stylized images. And everything I did after that, after I graduated from fashion, was focused on becoming a graphic designer. I applied for uh, every graphic design course in Georgia, uh, to put a portfolio together. And I really relocated to London and applied for Shillington College, a very fast-paced portfolio focused mm-hmm. course. And right after I finished, I applied for LCC London College of Communication. and its postgrad program is, has sig- significantly influenced my approach towards design. Uh, so LCC is known for its traditional education, And another thing I remember is that we would get a gigantic reading list every week. And I would spend days reading old design books. I was obsessed with their library. I used to visit it every day. And another thing that I remember is that we would not use software programs in the class for the first couple of months. Instead, we were working with a piece of paper, a glue stick. Some cutout letter forms, um, pencils, and other tangible materials. So, the logic behind that approach is that working with actual materials gives you a better understanding of scale and balance. And another thing was when you're gluing something down, you can't just easily unglue it without ruining your work. So, you have to think and plan before you sort of commit yourself to an action. So soon after I graduated, my UK visa expired, which was a devastating moment for me because I was already in love with London. And I came back home uh, where I was lucky enough to start working at uh, George Bokwa studio. And as soon as I started working there, uh, I actually broke my right forearm during the first week.
0: Oh my but
1: God. long story short, <laughs> I know, ironic, uh, but long story short, I had a very speedy recovery and I think like wrapping cabbage leaves around my forearm helped. Uh, it is something that my surgeon uh, recommended and I, at first I thought it was a joke, you know, just to cheer me up, put a cabbage on your forearm, you know. But as it turned out, there is an anecdotal evidence that it does have some anti-inflammatory properties and it does help this healing process. But anyways... A placebo effect or cabbage effect?
0: (laughs) When I was a kid, uh, we used to rub dock leaves into our skin if we got stung by a stinging nettle. But no idea if that genuinely worked or if it was uh, just in our heads. But um, yeah, I've never heard about cabbage. That sounds uh, strange.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I think it was a placebo effect though. (laughs) But even after that, I would not be able to create a mark for the next six months. And the reason was a quite peculiar one because I was so obsessed with this mysterious world of logo design that every time I tried to make a sketch, I would get paralyzed from uh, excitement. Then in six months, something clicked and I figured out the logic behind mark creation. So I uploaded a couple of logos on Instagram and they got regrammed. And surprisingly enough, people liked it. So we all have heard this many times, but I would advise every beginner to put their work out there and not to be too attached or ego-driven about their designs. And another thing is that being too critical about yourself puts you in a, high stress state and being in that state um, blocks creativity entirely which is not a good thing.
0: Yeah definitely Uh, I think it's good to be aware that there's uh, room for improvement but you don't want it to be so critical that you never put your work out there like you you have to show your work otherwise nobody knows what you're capable of doing and you'll never get a design job or any client so I, I totally agree with that advice. Um, so I do want to ask you about the logic that you discovered behind logo design as you mentioned there but I'm going to say that for slightly later on in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So in terms of your story so far we know how you discovered your love for logo design but how did you go from finding that passion to creating your own design studio Mm -hmm.
1: So, um, George decided uh, to travel in the end of uh, 2017 or 2018, I don't remember. And he temporarily closed down the studio. And uh, there are very few design studios in Georgia back then. Um, And style-wise, I didn't feel like I was a good fit for any of them. Because uh, I cherished logo modernism uh, and I wanted to continue working in that style. And without too many options and after months of hesitation, I decided to open my own studio, which was a terrifying move because I had to do the things that I was not used to and not qualified enough to do, such as hiring people Accounting, art direction, of course, I was doing design at the same time, and it was overwhelming. And to make things a bit easier for myself, in a couple of months, I decided to move into a studio and to live there because I didn't want to spend any time in traffic. So before the COVID hit, we were working primarily with the financial sector, Uh, banks, investment firms, focusing on visual identities. But I think the pinnacle moment was that uh, in 2018, we got approached by a presidential candidate uh, to design a campaign, which was, I mean, a huge thing. But still, (laughs) the long story short is that we had to decline that project because the deadline was quite tight for such a huge responsibility. And... Eventually, she would become a president. So uh, after the COVID hit, we had no other choice but to turn Pragmatica into a part-time studio. And I shifted my focus towards teaching uh, design online and offline. That's when I recorded my first Skillshare class about design principles. And that's when I became a tutor at Miami at School Georgia. And... I never stopped taking on design projects, but nowadays I hire people on a project-to-project basis.
0: Oh, wow. I I know that you did a Skillshare course, but I wasn't aware that you actually did teaching too, so I I need to also ask about that at some point. Um, But focusing on Pragmatica, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it sounds like you went all in from the outset and, and started hiring people in some form. And I think that's a really big leap to take for anyone when they're starting their own business. Can you talk through how you approached hiring other designers to work with?
1: Well, as I said, nowadays, um, I hire people on a project to project basis, because in terms of workflow, there is no need for a full time employee. And I usually hire if I'm working on a Really massive project or something with a tight deadline, and it depends whether I'm hiring a beginner, uh, an assistant designer, or if I'm hiring an already established designer. I have different approaches. If I'm, if it's an established designer, they should have a completely different skill set from me, and in that case, if I'm responsible for art direction. I'm looking for someone who has a strong portfolio that shows proficiency in a specific skill or style. And if I'm hiring an assistant, uh, it can be one of my students. And in that case, I'm more attentive towards their attitude, whether they have a fixed mindset or whether they're open to new things. And of course, Uh, whether they're persistent or or not because persistence and willingness to sit for many hours are usually um, the main differentiators whether someone will be an okay designer or a good designer.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I I agree with that. I, I think as a logo designer, persistence is so important especially to really perfect a logo and get that execution right. Um, I I remember one time I was working on a logo for hours and I was trying to get one tiny detail right. And I I remember my partner at the time, she walked into the office earlier in the day and she saw what I was working on. And then she returned a few hours later and she's like, are you still working on that same thing? (laughs) And it's because I did so many variants of the same logo, but I I really do think it was worth it because I, you know, I I think it made a a big difference to get that one little detail right. But um, I I know that the average person probably doesn't even notice. Um, Anyway, one thing I'm really keen to discuss with you is your logo design process. I really feel that you've mastered the art of execution. So can you talk through how you usually work on a logo design project?
1: Sure. So what I find uh, fascinating about logo design and design in general is that it requires two modes of thinking, both analytical and creative. And there is this constant switch between these two modes of thinking at different stages of design development. For example, when you're developing a creative brief or researching your competitors, you're in an analytical state. Whereas when you're generating visual directions and making sketches, you're in a creative mode. And I also like to call this creative mode an incubation period. So one of the Initial states is competitor research and research of similar brands, both locally and globally. And there are two reasons for that, because in every field, for example, you're creating an identity for a sports brand, right? It has an already established, quote marks, visual language, like a lot of angles, bold typography, vibrant colors, that walk feeling of energy, and you cannot divert too much from that. Because if you do, uh, you risk um, confusing your target audience. So uh, research helps with that. And indeed, it also uh, enables you to avoid some accidental plagiarism, because when you know what is already out there, it's more unlikely that you will repeat it. And Unintentional plagiarism is not a rare thing in design because if you're creating something, there is a high chance that someone has already done it and uh, you're copying someone without even knowing it. And after I draw initial ideas on sticky notes, I have this obsession with sticky notes. (laughs) Uh, Those sketches are usually very raw and almost unrecognizable. And my obsession with sticky notes started when I realized how Disheartening it is to buy a brand new designer notebook and you create a beautiful spread with uh, well thought out sketches and suddenly you draw one awkward shape and you cannot just undo it. <laughs> you just can't get rid of it without ripping out the whole spread <laughs> and two more pages from the other side of the notebook. So stickies are lightweight. You can carry them around. You can trash them into, if you don't like it and You know, it's just easy to to get rid of it.
0: (laughs) You're not the first designer I've spoken to that likes using sticky notes for logo design. Um, I I think it was Von Glitschke that I've seen do this. Um, I've used them myself for things like writing as a way of planning content. Um, But I can see how uh, you can like it for logo design, especially if it's helping you to... Generate lots of ideas really quickly.
1: Yeah. um, And, you know, this approach seems to elevate this perfectionism tension that we designers naturally have. Uh, And it also gives me, you know, a starting point point for um, cleaner sketches. And also, I think that psychologically, this is something that I noticed lately, is that uh, you treat every sticky note as a field. For a new idea and not as a continuation of your previous logos. You, you don't continue doing the same logotype with iterations, but you're approaching it as a, you know, like a new area. So once I have about 30 stickies, I go into sprint mode. The sprint technique is when you draw as many sketches as possible in a limited amount of time. On a larger piece of paper, it can be an A4 or it can be an A3. And the key here is to generate as um, many ideas as possible rather than focusing on one single concept. And they either differ conceptually or they differ style-wise. For example, if you know that your final logo has to be a line it can be a single line, line a negative space line, or a line using gradients, t- transparency, overlaps, and etc. So this process of uh, sprint technique can be repeated multiple times uh, until I'm happy with the two or three concepts, and after that I move on to digitization. The key with it is to treat your digital outline as a digital sketch rather than try to perfect it right away. Um, The first thing I make sure is that the silhouette is strong. And the second thing I keep in mind is that there is a good balance between foreground and background. And what helps a lot and what I ask all of my students to do is to zoom in and out obsessively. It's like pressing command S and saving your... Design Zooming in and out, command minus, command plus, and looking at the uh, excessively black areas. Uh, and also looking at the overall silhouette, whether it's wobbly or strong, because in smaller sizes, it's more noticeable. So, because if the shape is off, no amount of detailing will help. And after uh, I'm happy with the silhouette, I'm happy with the balance, I refine separate details of the mark, and I usually make copies after each iteration. And it is something that I actually learned from George. Uh, I will fill out an artboard with these hundreds of similar logos, which have like really minor changes. And this approach seems to work because when you're in the moment, you don't know whether you're improving the mark or making it worse. So saving the previous versions helps you see things in perspective, and you have uh, an opportunity for comparison. And when I'm happy with the final result that I managed to achieve at this stage, um, the final step is the improvement of uh, geometry. So some people like to call it gridding, and what gridding is replacing existing shapes with its Geometric analogs, it can be a circle, it can be an ellipsis, or it can be a line or a spiral. And sometimes there are moments when I'm not happy with the gridded version. For example, one line is not refined enough or it doesn't look good as a part of a composition. And I usually change it and it means like destroying your gridded version and re it again. So basically, this is a very speedy summary of my process, which hasn't changed in about three years.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I can see why, um, because I I really like this process. Um, So I'm just going to quickly summarize it based on some of the notes I uh, wrote down. So firstly, you're using sticky notes to quickly scribble out ideas. Then you're using larger sheets of paper to do uh, like a sprint technique to generate lots of ideas as quickly as possible. Uh, And then you're going through um, uh, doing a rough version of that design in Illustrator. Uh, but focusing primarily on the silhouette. And I think that's a really good idea um, because if it works as a rough sketch, then you know that it has the potential and it's worth developing. But if it's not working in that rough version, then you know that you can abandon it quickly and you haven't wasted too much time. Uh, I really like what you also said about zooming in and out. I think that's solid advice because you need a logo to be versatile. So you want to keep checking that it looks just as good at larger sizes as it does at those smaller sizes. And you can make tweaks accordingly. Um, And then once you've done that, you then start to make copies of the logo and to make tweaks uh, for improvements. And one of the reasons why you uh, make copies is so that you can make sure that you're actually making improvements with each change. And that's something I know George Bokoa does, as you mentioned. Uh, But I've also seen that same lesson from Aaron Draplin too. So I think that's really solid advice. Um, And then once you've got a perfect logo design that you're happy with, what, what you then do is use a grid so that you have geometric shapes to perfect the logo. So I can see how when applying this approach Uh, you get the logos to be as perfect as they are so I really appreciate you sharing that advice Um, so I hope listeners have got a lot out of that I interrupt this interview for a short message from the sponsor of this episode. The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood boards created with Adobe stock assets and earn your chance to play on a game show to win big. As designers, we pitch good vibes and great ideas through visuals all day, every day. But how well does our design communicate? do clients and higher-ups really understand the work we put in front of them? Well, let's find out. Test your skills by assembling a brand-inspired mood board with Adobe stock images to the perfect match. And if your skillful product is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live-streaming game show with other groovy designers Art directors and creatives, where the winner goes home with $1,000. It's free to participate in the perfect match, and if you submit an entry, Adobe will give you a gift for your time. To take part and to learn more, visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logo geek. That's theperfectmatch.co forward slash logo geek. So now let's get back to the interview. So I think to go along with this, uh, I did also want to ask you about your Skillshare course where you go into the basic principles of design. Can you tell us a little bit about that course and some of those principles that can apply to logo design?
1: Sure. So um, my Skillshare class was actually recorded in the midst of uh, the pandemic's first wave. and I wanted my first class to be about the basics, the basic principles of graphic design. And I talked about seven design principles that are used across various fields of graphic design. And these are uh, balance, contrast, uh, hierarchy, white space, repetition, tension, and scale. So let's take scale, for example. It is a bit hard to explain without, you know, physical demonstration, but I'll try my best. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> For
1: example, we need to create sense of dimensionality in a circle. Uh, we want to make it look more rounded, like a sphere, right? Um, the first shortcut is to use gradients. That's what a beginner designer would do. To make the center, central parts uh, lighter and make the edges darker because uh, lighter things are perceived as closer to us and the darker things are perceived as they're receding. Uh, It's not going to be something Mm -hmm. new and exciting, right? And in another scenario, you can take a circle as a silhouette and place shapes inside of the circle. And how you place those shapes will define whether your circle will look flat or whether it will look like a sphere. So if you place oversized the objects or shapes in the center, they will feel like they're closer to us. And if you put smaller shapes at the edges, they will look like they're further away from us. And also, um, here's where like placement and correlation comes into play. Uh, there should be more space around the central area because a significant amount of white space will create a sense of lightness and uh, smaller objects that are further away from us should be placed more uh, densely to create a sense of darkness. So, if we, this is just an example of scale. And if we take balance, it's much easier. Mm-hmm. We can talk about foreground and background balance. And in design, what is uh, invisible, like a background, is just as important as what is visible. And background can create like, uh, Inside shapes as well, and whether you want your logo to be heavy, uh, you use more foreground, and if you want your logo to be light, you leave more white space. So you use more background. So those principles are most apparent in uh, the classical pieces of design, and because the designers back then didn't rely on special effects and 3 motions and you know like digital textures because there were mm-hmm. none obviously, and they relied the relied on The design principles to create these effects of dimensionality and depth.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And actually, uh, when you consider that you can use shapes rather than gradients to create dimension, uh, it is making me think about how you can apply uh, that knowledge to those single color versions of a logo. Uh, So I'm actually thinking it is probably worth pulling out some of those classical pieces to see. Uh, what lessons we can all uh, learn from that to apply uh, to our own logo design work now. Okay, so we know how you go about designing logos. Uh, We spoke about how you got into design and your process for creating those perfectly executed marks. Um, I'd love to go into some of the other stuff related to your agency because it sounds like you're now at a good point where you're getting regular clients and you're able to hire designers on some projects uh, and that's allowing you to spend time creating courses and, and teach uh, which I think is a really nice position to be in. So you're clearly very good at finding clients and uh, having a regular stream of clients is, is a key to be in the position where you are I think. So how do you go about finding clients for your business?
1: Uh, yeah, and actually, I don't think I'm the perfect person to ask this question <laughs> because I, I just be honest. Yeah, I don't find clients. Georgia is a tiny, tightly connected country, and I feel like every local client that I ever worked with found me through word of mouth. And usually, those are either ex-happy clients introducing me to the new clients, or someone mm-hmm. I know through design community. And other than that, um, I get inquiries mainly from social media, Instagram and Behance, and having solid uh, social presence helps, although I must add that before the algorithms were introduced to uh, Instagram, the outreach was bigger and logically there are more inquiries through Instagram. Mm-hmm. And lately... People have also. I have also started noticing that I get clients through my Skillshare class and my teaching practices. So generally, the logic is that you will get hired for the work that you do. You will get hired for the type of work you have on your portfolio. And whatever you put out there is most likely going to attract the type of clients you're going to work with in the future.
0: Yeah, I, I find it really interesting that you say that you're not the best person to talk about this because when I have spoken to people that know what they're doing uh how you're finding clients is pretty much how they're finding clients and um, so there's a few things I can see that you're doing that and and uh, a lot of it is what I would describe as reputation growth so you're posting consistently on social media you're sharing great work and and because you're sharing great work other people are also sharing that work Um, and by the sound of it you're networking with other designers and and networking with people in general and and that's allowing you to attract work because people know that you do good work and doing good work will attract clients (laughs) Um, and uh, even though that sounds really simple That is how most graphic designers get work, I think, and and obviously you can learn more about different social platforms and you know marketing techniques. But uh, as long as you're doing that in some way, so that people get to know you, uh, like you, and trust you, then you're going to get clients. So that advice, even though you said that you're not the best person to talk about this, is still valid advice, and it is allowing you to be in a position where you are getting clients Mm
1: -hmm. and living in a small country actually helps as well
0: maybe but even in a small country you you have a wide reach I mean I'm based in the UK and I'm familiar with your work and I'd imagine that a lot of other designers you know people listening now are familiar with you and your work too so even though you are based in a small country um, because of social media and because of the internet your reach is a lot bigger than you uh, probably realize and, and that will open up doors to uh, every corner of the globe. <laughs> yeah, so so I do want to talk more about your training courses. Uh, so we've already briefly discussed Skillshare, um, but I am aware that you're in the early stages of doing a domestica course, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, I know they do absolutely Fantastic uh, content. Uh, so, can you tell us more about that? I, I really enjoyed what they did with saggy Haviv. Um, so, I'll probably be signing up to uh, whatever you do too.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> thank you. Uh, my first student. <laughs> You're going to be my first student. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you for your interest. So, I was approached by Domestica while, while I was actually preparing for my second Skillshare class. And I had to pause my Skillshare preparations for a while to refocus on Domestica. So mm-hmm. the class is going to be about building a monogram. So the, for those of you who doesn't know, a monogram is a logo composition, quote marks, composed of the first letter forms taken out of the name of the company. It's two or more words, right? For example, General Electrics, for example, IBM or PS, uh, uh, and we're going to film it in march and it's going to be a two part class with a bonus unit so the first part will be theoretical we will go through themes such as what makes a good logo what is a fine line between minimalistic and boring uh how to utilize multiple methods and principles of depth creation that i talked about so so that your logo doesn't look um, flat and generic and the second part will be the process, how to conduct a visual research, how to generate as many sketches as possible in a very limited amount of time. And I'm also going to talk about sprint technique that I mentioned uh, and we will execute a mark from a, a sketch to its final gridded version. And as a bonus lecture, uh, bonus unit, I will teach my students how to Uh, improve a mark if you're feeling stuck and we're going to take uh, their designs through a logo checklist.
0: It sounds like it would be really good so um, I'm excited to check that out. Uh, It is definitely an amazing opportunity for you. Uh, Out of curiosity how did they go about finding you?
1: Uh, I'm not sure how they found me but uh, one of the producers contacted me uh, through email And I think one of the reasons was that I already had a Skillshare class and I already had some experience in teaching. And other than that, I think there were very few logo design specific classes back then when I got contacted because it was in September or October. I don't quite remember. And now there are quite a few, but back then there were not as many. So I think there was a demand and... I got lucky
0: <laughs> definitely I, I know that the saggy Javiv one did well so I imagine that you're going to do well out of this too so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting um so you mentioned earlier in the conversation about books and since we have a little bit more time I'd like to discuss this uh, so what books would you recommend
1: so the first recommendation would be an all-time classic that my tutor recommended while I was studying at LCC. It's uh, Armin Hoffman's Graphic Design Manual. And this book explains design principles through basic geometric shapes. And another one would be the elements of typographic style. And this book is a masterpiece itself. The way it's typeset makes it extremely easy to read and understandable. And... Uh, I think this is what uh, what good typography is all about. So, um, and another one would be um, it's not a design book, but I found it really helpful and inspiring. It is Flow by Mihaly Mihali. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly <laughs> Sorry for this. Uh, and uh, it is about creativity and happiness, uh, and it's about the state of flow that I mentioned. Previously, okay. so and another two or three would be um, seventy-nine short essays on design by Michael Beerut. And the book says that it's about design, right? Seventy-nine short essays on design, but really it's about everything. And um, Michael Beerut uh, says this quite a lot: that having a wide area of interest and being genuinely curious about life is what makes you a good designer and not just reading books and being. Yeah,
0: I agree with that. And,
1: uh, the last one would be, or last two would be grid system by Joseph Mueller Brockman. He's my, uh, Design Idol and logo modernism, of course. I cannot not mention it. (laughs) I think
0: everyone, every designer that I know has logo modernism. And I think if you're listening to this and you don't have that book, go out there and buy it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, don't order it online because uh, it is too heavy and you will have to pay the double price for the shipping.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a a really heavy book. Um, I I think we're really lucky in the UK with Amazon, uh, shipping is free. Uh, at least it is for me, because I've got Amazon Prime, uh, which offers free shipping as part of that. But yeah, I I think it's worth it for a book like that. But I I really don't envy uh, people in other parts of the world as it is a huge, heavy book, but I I really do think it's worth having. So we're getting close to the end of the time that we have. So I'm going to ask you one last question. What piece of advice would you give to young designers out there?
1: Okay, (laughs) so um, the advice that I would give to like the beginners is to practice making mistakes and correcting yourself. Because when you make a mistake, you may not be able to articulate what the mistake is as a beginner. For that, you need an art director. But if you don't have an art director, you can still feel uh, like the, something is off and it uh, creates a sense of discomfort in you. Uh, and if you're sensitive enough towards that feeling and persistent enough, you will most likely try to find a source of that mistake. And you will try various ways of correcting it. So you become a strong uh, visual problem solver by failing and fixing your failures in that process. and. In addition to that, um, more often than not, those mistakes turn into design solutions. And with enough practice, um, you will start recognizing those errors as potential design solutions. And I think that's the part when the design magic happens.
0: I think making mistakes is really key to learning anything in life. um, Because without making mistakes, you can't improve. (laughs)
1: exactly and it also elevates a lot of pressure when you when you allow yourself to make mistakes and be fine
0: and I think when working with logo design you can often see uh, what doesn't work but not always know how to fix that issue without lots of experimentation um, but I, I think that's something that becomes easier as you get more experience.
1: Because you actually become faster at like noticing those mistakes or either dropping your design or uh, using this mistake as a design solution.
0: Yeah, I I actually really like it when designers share their mistakes. I always uh, vividly remember uh, Ian Barnard when he shared a uh, calligraphy error that he did on Instagram. Um, I, I think people are so used to seeing perfect videos all of the time so it was quite unexpected to see like uh the inks splodge out and it all go wrong um uh, so yeah it's cool that he's happy sharing that because it it just shows that it's okay to make mistakes even when you know what you're doing
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it's part of the process (laughs) no design is perfect from the very beginning
0: Yeah, I think that's solid advice to end the interview on. Um, Nobody gets good without making lots of mistakes along the way. And the more that you do, the more that you learn and improve. Well, Tamari, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. Uh, We managed to cover a lot in the time that we had. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my experience with you.
0: Thank you so much for coming on, Tamari. I really appreciate you coming on, especially knowing English isn't your native language. So I hope others appreciate this interview as much as I did. For links to Tamari's website, social profiles and training course along with a transcription of this interview, go and check out the show notes for this episode, which you can find by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 124. And don't forget to check out the sponsor of this podcast, The Perfect Match, and start working on your mood board design for a chance to win $1,000. To find out more about that, just head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash So thanks so much for listening and I'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek podcast.